Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Uh, well, again, good morning. My name is Aaron. And guys, you've come on a great Sunday if you're a guest. We're starting a brand new series through the book of Genesis. And it's a really easy place in the Bible to find because it's the very first book of the Bible. And what I like about Genesis is, because, is that it's really a book about new beginnings. It's all about origin stories. And if you think about it for a moment, uh, you and I uh, are, have stories that are such a big part of our life. Uh, whether it's uh, TV or movies or social media. We love stories. We love origin stories, especially. Even the shoes I'm wearing were gifted by someone in the church. And these are like the Miles Morales origin story shoes from like the Marvel universe, right? It's my nerd out moment for you there. But we all love uh, stories. We're made for stories. I mean, if you think about it this past week, uh, did you go on social media and view someone else's story about what they did? Is that weird? Just a little bit like, hey, well, I wonder what this person did with their life. And then we, we view it. I'm not condemning it, but it's just interesting that you and I are drawn into stories. You may even posted a story. Stories are the way that you and I relate to one another. And it's the way that we relate to the rest of the world. But the question is, why is this the case? Why do you and I love stories? And why are we wired for stories? Well, it's because as we're gonna learn from Genesis 1 is that God created us for a one grand narrative, that all of us are a part of one giant story. And so we tell stories, we hear stories because you and I are a part of one giant story. Now we know this from English class that every good story has a couple key elements, right? If you're an English major or you study that, it's got a couple key elements, right? It's got a plot, it's got some characters, it's got a background, a setting, some conflict resolution. And every story often unfolds in the same exact way, right? The characters are on some journey and they're trying to grapple with their own origin, their own purpose and meaning in life. They're grappling with their morality and their destiny. Those four things, every character is dealing with that. Take Star Wars, for example. You've got that character, Luke Skywalker, right? He's searching to understand his own origin. He's trying to understand his own purpose and meaning, his morality and his destiny. Peter Parker in Spider-Man, Katniss Everdeen in Hunger Games. Yes, even Harry Potter himself, right? All of them are grappling with origin, their purpose, morality, and destiny. And there's something that's inside of us that's compelled by those themes because we're all a part of this one giant story together. It's because as people, you and I are all part of this one grand narrative that God is the author and is inviting us into. And in this story, there is a setting and there's plot, there's characters, there's conflict, there's resolution that we're all a part of. In fact, guys, the Christian worldview teaches that all of humanity is a part of this one grand narrative where you and I are seeking for origin, understanding it, our purpose, our morality and destiny. And this is what Genesis is actually all about. It addresses and answers some of life's biggest questions about those things. Have you guys ever studied Genesis, by the way? Raise your hand if you've read through Genesis or if you studied it some. Guys, there's so much questions that happens, right? Like, what's the age of the earth? What about evolution? Did creation take place in six days and then God rested on the seventh? Is that a literal time? What about gender and sexuality and marriage? And you're like, that's a lot, bro. Are you gonna cover all that all in one week? I'm not. <laughs> 
But that is what Genesis shows us. It teaches us something about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And we're all captivated by story. And God is saying, in the beginning, he starts out as a storyteller, a once upon a time. And he's telling you this story that you and I are each a part of. And he's inviting us to know where you came from and what's your purpose and how do we grapple with what's right and what's wrong and where are we going? God's inviting us in the story because you and I were wired for it. And that's what I love about the book of Genesis. Guys, let's go ahead and open up to Genesis if you're not there already. And let's begin this book by looking at verse one. And as we're going through this message, we're entitling it in the beginning. It's a great title. It's an easy title, in the beginning. And what we're going to look today is we're going to unpack just one simple question. What does Genesis 1 tell us about God? And what does that mean for you and I in everyday life? Really simple way. What does Genesis 1 tell us about God? And what does it mean for us for everyday life? Let's look at the very first verse here. The Bible starts in this grand narrative. It says, in the beginning, God. We have to pause right there because laying before us, guys, is already an incredibly profound claim. Thomas, or Derek Thomas at Ligonier Ministries unpacks a few reasons for us why this is just so incredibly significant that in the beginning, God. The first thing I want you to see about what this means is that God is claiming that he has always existed. Always existed. Meaning that before there was a universe, there was a God. That's what verse one is declaring. Now, just to pause for a moment, if you were like me, um, you may have not grown up believing everything that the Bible had to say. Maybe you didn't grow up like a Christian. I wasn't a Christian until I was 20. So I had lots of questions about the Bible's reliability. Age of the earth, is there really a God? How would I know which one he is? And as we look at the Bible, the first thing is so challenging for us to look at. In the beginning, God. God was already there when there was a beginning. This detail is meant to communicate that when time began, God was already present. That God existed, in fact, before time, before space, and before matter. He, in fact, preceded all of those elements. So verse one means, guys, that God is not dependent on anyone or anything at any point to exist. And that is an incredible claim that Christianity offers. God has always infinitely, eternally existed. He's had no beginning and he will have no end. So guys, we can't actually say that the, before the universe existed, there was nothing for before the universe existed, what? There was a God. As it reads, in the beginning, God. For God was already there when everything else began. And for Christians, our minds just race and explode at this thought. Like, think about it. God's eternal presence has always been there. Before atoms and molecules, electrons, particles, before anything, God always was. As Colossians 1.17, it affirms this and says, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. 
Like guys, we, it's hard to fathom God's boundless preeminence, the preeminence of his existence. It's hard to fathom that. And as Christians, all we can do is just humbly worship in awe and wonder at this being that said, in the beginning, I was already there. In the beginning, God. Now let's pause for a moment and just consider this because you might've been like me. You might be like me. You might be journeying in your faith. You might not claim to be a Christian. You were invited here. You're watching online and we're so happy you're here. And this is one of my objections when I was not a Christian. This might be yours and I'd like to talk about it for a brief moment. Let's pause for a moment and let's, let's say that there's no eternal God because maybe you think like I did that maybe the universe itself is eternal. So you don't need someone to create. You just need something to create. So maybe not, there's no God. Maybe he's not eternal, but maybe the universe is eternal. And so what comes out of it is maybe a sequence of actions or causing something to create. Now this objection is important for us to consider because if the universe is eternal, then there's no need for an eternal God who brings time and space and matter into being. We can just delete the idea of God from our lives like many people have. But scientific evidence actually disproves the claim that the universe itself is eternal. See, scientists discovered that the universe is in fact, guys, expanding and that galaxies themselves are actually moving further and further apart from each other at a rapid speed. This is demonstrated by what they call the red shift in color that is receding galaxies are telling you as they're moving further and further apart from each other. Now, why is that important? We didn't come to science class today, but science is always gonna uphold and point to what's true and what's real. It's important because if we were to take this movement and we were to reverse it, like a movie reel, if you guys know what a VHS tape is, right? You rewind these galaxies spreading out. If you were to rewind it, it would go back to a point of singularity and then nothingness. By us seeing in science that's moving outwards, if you reverse it, it's going inwards to a point of singularity, then nothing is, it's proving to us what? That the universe itself is not eternal. This is incredibly significant for us because someone or something had to exist outside time, space, and matter to bring time, space, and matter into existence. And if the universe itself isn't eternal, then who or what is? In fact, this was Einstein's very point on general relativity. Einstein's mathematical formula shows us that time and space and matter are actually co-relative, meaning that those three elements came into being at the same time. Time, space, and matter, revealing that the universe is not eternal as Einstein had once thought. So he then concluded that since the universe had a beginning, it must then have a what? A beginner. That someone who could exist outside time and outside space and outside matter must have been the one who could bring matter and space and time into existence. And the Bible gives us this conclusion in the very first four words. In the beginning, God Guys, how remarkable of a claim is that? If we're thinking about how you got here, how I got here, how all of this came to be, the Bible gives us this startling claim. And then over time, we're seeing science give us evidence that in the beginning, indeed, God has always existed. 
That's the first thing we learned from Genesis chapter one. Here's the second thing. Not only has he always existed, but God created, this is a hard claim, especially for me when I was exploring faith, God created out of nothing, out of nothing. Verse one continues this claim by saying, in the beginning, God what? God created. Now I promise you, we won't go this slow, guys, through our entire study of Genesis, because if we did, we'd be here for like 36 years and that's a long time, right? Um, But we're starting slow because we want to see what the author has to say. We wanna see every detail. We wanna shift every diamond and see the sparkle of what he's trying to say. So in the beginning, God what? God created. Now right there, guys, in that word created, it's a really special term that's used in Hebrew. That word for created there is the verb bara. Now that term bara is so unique, guys, because it's only used when the subject doing the creating is God. Nowhere else in Hebrew scripture is bara used for people creating something. It's only used when the subject is attached to God. Now, why is that? Why is that? We're learning something about language here and how language is used. Bara refers to the supernatural creation of something. The Latin phrase ex nihilo gets at the same idea that God creates what? Out of nothing. But elsewhere in the scriptures, we see the term asa used when something is made out of pre-existing material. Do you see that? You see what we're learning from even the original language. Barah is used when something is made out of nothing by God. And we see terms like asa when something is being made out of something that already exists. Like when a child makes a castle out of Play-Doh. They didn't invent the Play-Doh, but they took the Play-Doh and they made something. And we're learning that in the beginning, God, Barah, God created out of nothing. Now that's a startling claim because we're dealing with a lot of particles and a lot of atoms. And what about a big bang? And were there particles that came together? There's so much here. And some may argue this point. I wasn't smart enough to argue this point as a non-Christian, but several of my friends have. And here's something that may be brought up here. They argue that by stating that quantum physics shows us something, that tiny particles such as electrons can pop up simultaneously, like out of nothing, And so maybe because particles can do that, maybe the universe kind of popped out of nothing as well. So therefore we don't need a God if we have this in science that particles pop up and they're kind of just random and it just shows up out of everywhere, then maybe the universe did as well. But what isn't considered in this objection is that the energy field that generates the particles used to study that theory could maybe be causing that phenomena. Further, scientists bombard these tiny quantum particles with a powerful electron microscope. And this alone alone may change things and account for them seeing the random tiny quantum particles. Guys, even the Heisenberg uncertainty principle affirms that we can't accurately know both the position and the speed of an electron at the same time, proving that we can't say for certain that electrons are indeed popping out of nowhere when we can't study their location and their speed at the same time they might just be bouncing off other particles into the microscope view and then out of sight. So maybe they're not as random or just popping out of nothing. They're just bouncing off of something else. Even some may say, what about the Big Bang Theory, right? Maybe there was like two particles that somehow collided together 
enough to create force to create the universe. And maybe we don't need a God if we just had these particles. Maybe that's what explains it. But the question in response to this would be, well, if the Big Bang created everything, then where did those two particles come from? What's their origin? Einstein already established that they could not be eternal. So for this theory to be consistent with the other findings of science, either God created those particles to collide or the theory falls apart. And so at this point, the philosopher Frank Turk says this, it makes little logical sense to believe that nothing created something out of nothing rather than someone created something out of nothing. It only makes logical sense to affirm that a God does indeed exist and out of his existence, he created out of nothing. You guys with me so far? Now, not every uh, sermon is gonna be like this. We're not gonna nerd out on science, which I think it's really cool. But I, I wanna show you that Christians aren't just these blind, let me just leap into some belief statement. Like there's, there's real scientific, logical evidence-based proof to what we believe. We're not just closing our eyes and saying, in the beginning, God created. Okay, how would we know that? Like, we, we want to we use the resources around us that give us the evidence of this. So we're not going to nerd out as hard every week on this, but I think it's important as we start out to show how much evidence and logic and reason and philosophy we have behind all of this. Number three, what do we learn about God from this text? That God is indeed triune, triune. And that's very, a unique claim for Christianity. The doctrine of the Trinity means that there's one God and he exists eternally as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, meaning God is one in essence and three in persons. These definitions can express these three crucial truths that we hold. The Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God and there is only one God. And you see this again in the very first verses of the Bible. Look at it again, verse one. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Do you see in the first three verses, we see God the Father, we see God the Holy Spirit, and it says God said, which is God the Word, where John picks up in his gospel in the New Testament, it says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. What's the Word? The Word spoke, let there be light. In the very first page of scripture, God wants you to know him. God is revealing himself for you to know and be invited into the story. He says, I've created and I've created all of this for you to know me. And he wants you to know the glory of him being God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's inviting you in to this grand narrative where he's the author and he's the purpose of it all. God is a triune God. Number four, we also learn from this text that God created to display his beauty, to display his power and to display his glory. Guys, next week, we're gonna unpack uh, a little bit of what did he create? And is it a literal six-day creation? Uh, how do we navigate maybe some of the, the, the perceived discrepancies before Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? But I just wanted to give you like a summary real quick of what he created. God creates the light from the darkness. 
we learn, we'll learn next week. God creates sky and ground and seas. He creates plants and vegetations and trees. We learn that God creates the sun, the moon, the stars to give light to the earth. God creates every living creature for the seas and the skies and the earth. And then God creates mankind to know and see this beauty, to see his power and his glory through the creation so that we could have a relationship with him. Now, this might sound uh, a little weird to use as an analogy, but let me just bear with me for a moment. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Emily, for almost 10 years. We've known each other for 12 years. And I tried to get her attention when I first met her. It was at a, uh, a, a church camp that I was the pastor of, and we were hosting it for our uh, like 300, 400 students. And she was one of the uh, volunteers. And we were like one or two age uh, different. So it was, she was not in the student ministry. So make sure that's clear. So no weird stories happen. Uh, we were both uh, like right at the end of our college career, she was serving as the, uh, one of the counselors for the students. And we were having like a counselor volleyball game. We were playing volleyball. And I was like, man, she's so cute. She's so sweet. Every time the ball goes out of bounds, she's like, oh, I'll go get it. I'll help you guys out. And we're going over there for a water break. And she's like helping us with the water. I was like, oh, she's just the sweetest girl in the world. I start talking to her and trying to build a relationship. And then I'm like, I got to play better. I have to like show off how good I am. And like, oh man, do I look okay? I went back to my dorm and like shaved my beard up a little bit. And then I came back on the court. I'm like, oh, I'm back now, guys. Like I had to make sure like I was all ready because I was, I was trying to draw her in. Now, it didn't work if you know our story. It took a long time to kind of draw this in. She told me, no, I got to wash my hair for one of our first dates. And she said, you couldn't go. Oh, my sister had a birthday. All this other stuff uh, that maybe was not or not true. Um, but it took me a while to draw her in. But what I was trying to do was I was trying to show her something about myself, my, my strength or my athleticism on the volleyball court or whatever the case would be. And what God's doing in creation, he's showing you something about himself not to just boast about his glory, although he's worthy to do so, but he's trying to draw you in because you and I are looking for beauty. You and I want power and security. You and I want a glory or we want to, people to look at us and say, what how great you are. But God is saying, no, 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 if you behold my beauty and my power and my glory, that's where you should get caught up in because that's what gives you life. That's what you're searching for. So what we're learning in the creation story is that you were created to know the creator, to find beauty and power and love and security and comfort in him. So he gives you all the beauty of what's around us, how vast it is, how complex things are, how amazing systems of weather or biology or body or even how children are made, so many beautiful, complex things. God is putting it out there to show that someone is behind this and this someone wants you to know him as beautiful because you're looking for beauty, to know him as powerful because you're looking for security. You're looking for love and someone to know you and value you and he's showing you all the beauty of what he's created. And so when you and I go to the Grand Canyon, we go to the beach, we go to the mountains and we go, wow, that's beautiful. God is saying, it's, it's me, I wanna invite you in. I wanna show you more of what you were made for. So God created all of this to display his beauty, his power and glory so you could know him more. Colossians 1.16 says this, it's for by him, all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, things are visible, things that are invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and what? And for him. Guys, you were created for him. What you're searching for, what you're longing for in your life, what is that? All of it finds its fulfillment in God, all of it. 
If you're trying to figure out what's your future career or who you should marry, what do I do with my finances? How do I balance sports and school? If you're figuring out how to navigate these things, I'm new to the city and you're trying to figure out purpose and origin and morality and destiny, God is saying, you can find that in me because I made you for it. And God is inviting you in as the author. Romans eleven thirty six even says this, it's for from him and it's through him and it's to him are all things. Everything was created for his glory forever and ever, amen. God created all of this so you could know something about him. So you could get caught up in the all in wonder of who God is and not in other things. Last thing here, and I think this is the most beautiful thing we learn about God in these first five verses and that God points us to something called the gospel. God points us to the gospel in the very first five verses of the scripture. Let me read it to you and show you. In the beginning, again, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now for Christians, we believe in this thing called the gospel. That word gospel simply means good news. It's the good news about what God did for us so we could have a relationship with him. And the gospel always points us to Jesus because Jesus is the only way that you and I can have a relationship with God because God is creator and he is morally perfect and we're not as fallen beings. How do we get a relationship with this God? If he's perfect and we're not, how could we be in relationship? And the gospel tells us it's Jesus. Jesus takes all of our sin on himself. He takes all his righteousness and he puts it on us. And with Jesus' perfect record given to us, we can have now a relationship with this God and simply by faith. Now, where is that in the scripture? Where is the gospel pointed out in this scripture? In the very beginning, it says this, the earth was without form. It was void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And then in the place of darkness, a void, God spoke in it and said, let there be light and there was light. My friends, that is the whisperings of the gospel. The gospel tells us that you and I have a darkness called sin that we are separated from this God because of sin. And you may be feeling some of that void in your life. You are striving for love and for purpose and security. And so you're willing to give over your own identity and you're willing to look like someone else or try to be like something else. And you're giving over yourself to try to be someone or make it somewhere. And you might feel this void in you or this darkness, this nagging feeling inside that you are made for something else. That is there someone that loves you? Is there someone that cares for you? And in this, God is saying that in your personal darkness and whatever you're struggling with that's hovering over you without the voids you're feeling, it's in that place that God brings light. In the book of John, we find out who this light is. This light has a name. His name is Jesus. John 1 again, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then that word became flesh. The light became flesh. The word became flesh. And so this morning, if you are new with us and you're exploring Christianity and you may have resonated with what I'm saying a little bit about maybe feeling a void and feeling some areas of darkness and you're, you're kind of struggling with who you are and 
your purpose, morality, destiny, and origin, all of this is a struggle for you. I want you to hear the gospel that God loves the places of darkness to enter into, not to condemn you or to judge you, but to rescue you, to love you in that place. And that is indeed what God did. This light stepped into our darkness so we could be lifted into his light. That is what the gospel is, what Jesus has done for each of you. And my friends, the only way for you to have a relationship with this God who creates, with this God who creates out of nothing, with this God who's triune, with this God who's creator of beautiful and majestic things, the only way you can be with him is if you trust in the light that has come in Jesus. The only way to this God is through faith in him. And then it's through that access point that you discover your origin and your meaning, your morality and destiny. It's where you find that love you're searching for to find that meaning that you're looking for in your job or your degree, your sports program, where you're trying to find that, am I important enough? Am I special enough? You find that in God because you were made for him. Guys, that's just Genesis one through five. And next week we'll look through more of the day's creation and we'll unpack more of what did God create? Why did he create it? And what is he trying to do? 